Welcome to the Rounds to Residency podcast, brought to you by Med School Coach. Each episode, get clinical rotation advice and tips to prepare for your externships and residency in healthcare. We interview preceptors and physician educators who will prepare you for your rotation and improve your clinical experience. Now, here's your host, Chase DeMarco. Today, we are joined by Dr. Tanya Kalor, who founded the Joy in Family Medicine Coaching Service, and she continues to enjoy her clinical practice and remains as an on-call faculty for the Alaska Family Medicine Residency Program. Tanya, nice to have you on. Yeah, thank you so much. I appreciate it. I enjoy the work that you do in a space that you fill. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate it. So I do want to start off with this icebreaker question, the new one for season four, and that is what is the biggest challenge facing residents in family medicine right now? That's a great question. There are so many challenges <laughs> um, being a family medicine resident, but I think one of the things that family medicine faces that maybe other specialties don't is having so many different transitions, learning so many different medical record systems as they're rotating on everyone else's service and everyone else's outpatient clinic. And I think that's probably one of the hardest close second is just the fact that as in any specialty, you have different attendings that have different expectations and who may want you to do things differently. So trying to learn to, you know, weave and pivot at the same time of trying to figure out your own style of practice. Yeah, there's so much to do in family medicine and that covers everything, every age group, every type of disease, <laughs> the first line of defense really in the healthcare system. Yeah, exactly. And what is the Joy in Family Medicine coaching that you do? How does that work out? So I found coaching about two years ago now, and I didn't know much about it. I knew I had a friend who was an executive coach for, you know, Fortune 500 companies, but I didn't understand much of what it had to do. But basically, coaching is a partnership between the coach and the client in which creative processes are used to help the client kind of reach their maximum potential and kind of fulfillment. And it's kind of new in the medical world. And once I discovered it, I was like, number one, every medical school and residency needs to have this. And number two, we should be teaching this to our children, right? There's so many tools in the coaching world. And so basically I started joining family medicine to reach family medicine residents and their faculty, because I really want to make an impact in our future generations of providers. I feel like there are so many topics that I hear from all the guests and hear from former classmates that, you know, we really should have learned this earlier, should have learned it in med school or something before getting into practice, whether that's coaching or personal finances or just so many topics that would probably help out a lot more than just studying all of these textbooks to the extent that we have to. Yes, well said. Yeah, there are a lot of facets to handling a life after finishing medicine and I guess only so much can fit in in your, you know, eight years of formal training and three years or five years of specialty training. And I just have to ask because the Alaska Family Medicine Residency Program, well, Alaska is kind of one of those very distant states. So I can't imagine that there is a lot of travel for students and residents between states. Is, is that something you find to be the case? So the family medicine residents actually do a lot of travel within the state. I don't know if you know how vast our state is. Many of the towns and villages are off the road system. So it means 
flying in or taking a ferry or taking a, a snow machine, as they're called here. And our residents will spend six weeks in their second year at one of those remote sites, and then another eight weeks in two different blocks in their third year at those remote sites. So they travel within the state. Many of them come, I'd say about 60 to 70% of our residents come from out of the state, if not more now. And so they often on vacation travel outside a favorite destination of many of the residents for vacation is Hawaii because it's much more accessible. <laughs> yeah, I was looking into just the clinical rotations aspect for third and fourth year medical students. And I think Alaska is one of the few states that's in Wisconsin, Alaska, two other states in this group. Yeah, whammy. Yeah, yeah. Montana, Idaho. Yeah. It's very interesting to find out about this sort of mini partnership that's going on with some of the states. Yeah. So that's at the medical school level. So that's separate from the residency, but Whammy has done a great job with University of Washington kind of being the hub institution in really supporting medical training in the Pacific Northwest. Okay. All right. Enough about Alaska, I think, for the moment. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we should get into the meat and potatoes of today's episode. And that's really about some of these skills that you've learned along the way and how students can utilize these earlier on in their careers and sort of get a head start on these topics. And I think one of them was the seeing feedback as an opportunity to grow instead of failure and just how to really navigate that, I guess, mentally and emotionally. Yeah. You think that's one of the biggest things. And I would say that it doesn't stop being an issue after you finish residency. It continues on even as faculty or attendings when you get feedback. We are trained to be, you know, A plus with extra credit type high achievers. And so we are so used to not meeting that external standard. We're so hard on ourselves and we make it mean something bad about ourselves. So often when medical students or residents are getting feedback, especially the constructive type feedback, all they hear is they failed, right? So starting to try to maneuver the mindset of thinking of it as a way to improve. Like if an attending says, you know, this would be a better way to examine the heart when they're lying supine or over on their left side, instead of making that mean like, oh, he thinks I'm stupid and I am never going to get this. There's all these things. Oh, you know, like you've got X number of years to maximize your training in this nice, secure setting. Why wouldn't you want to learn every single thing you could learn? to maximize your clinical ability. Exactly. And do you find that those giving the feedback could benefit from something like you hear the compliment sandwich? Yeah. Give the compliment, then you give the feedback, then another compliment. Do those types of techniques apply here? Are they useful? Well, I think they do. And I think that most of the attendings I know really do try to do a good job. And they've expanded. It's not just, you know, give something positive, something constructive, and something positive, but really expanding on some self-inquiry, having the resident or student self-reflect on what they think went well and what didn't, because you might find some teaching teachable moments in there to really support them and bolster them. But also what happens is we have such a negativity bias already in our brain. And now that everybody understands the, you know, feedback sandwich, right? Then they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You had to say that first piece of bread. Yep. There's the meat. That's my problem. And there's the extra little piece of bread just to try to put a good covering on it. Right. And so they dismiss the positives completely, like as if they were just, you know, little necessary objects, not really meaningful. And then they just take that meat and they expand it. Right. And they 
like ruminate on it and they make it mean so many different things. So I think we also need to practice thinking on those positives. Stop throwing out the bread. (laughs) (laughs) Don't throw out the bread. (laughs) We're not going low carb here. (laughs) Well, another topic that I know you cover in some of your materials, and it's very important for busy physicians and students, is just the time management and efficiency throughout your studies, throughout your day. What are some of the key points or techniques that you find helpful for this audience? There's so very many. Working with people who have learned how to maximize your EMR, that's going to be really key. Like finding the people who do it well and efficiently and mimic because each EMR is a little bit different. So that's going to be one thing. One common thing that I find that physicians in general, because our mind is like going, going, going. And if we get a break between patients, rather than getting the note done or cleaning out the inbox, so many of us like go to scroll, right? On whether it's Reddit or whatever social media, just to kind of like a quick little mental checkout. But by staying focused and getting that note done right after the encounter, number one, it's going to be the most accurate because it's the freshest. It's going to be the quickest you can do it because it's the most closely related in time. And you have this time pressure of the next patient waiting on you. So you're actually going to be the most efficient if you get it done then. And so kind of using those like little small gaps of time will actually leave you less work at the end of the day. So you don't take work home because that's a big drain. Got it. That's something very important to note, I suppose, because a lot of students are going to, and residents will assume, yeah, I can save it all at the end. And if I'm not task switching, if I can just focus on all these at the same time, it'll be more efficient. But you're going to forget things throughout the day. You're going to be distracted and your notes are not going to be as accurate, like you said. Yeah. And if you don't have like a time ending, you know, Parkinson's law of business time management is work expands to fill the time. So you're really losing that pressure. That's a positive pressure to get your note done efficiently. I love that you brought that up. Do you know students looking for a clinical rotation outside of their school's network? Students can reach out to preceptors nationwide and schedule their own rotations. You can even refer a friend and earn credit towards your future rotations. Go to findarotation.com for more information. That's Find a Rotation, your medical and healthcare clinical rotations platform. We mentioned Parkinson's Law in a book that I co-authored with some friends and colleagues, and it's very true. If you give yourself an hour, you're going to probably use up the whole hour. But if you only have five minutes to do it, you're going to cram it real quick. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah. And I think giving up the perfectionism, which is really hard when you're a learner too, right? Because number one, we're overachievers. We like to have everything in this unhealthy, perfect way. But you're also trying to figure out what all does need to be in a note. But once you've kind of got the basics down, a B minus note communicates what happened in the encounter. The billers can tell the complexity to bill and a lawyer can tell if you met standard of care. It doesn't have to be A plus. Very true. I don't know if too many people care about the A-plus part of the paperwork, but... (laughs) (laughs) I know some, I'm telling you. Okay. (laughs) And I know that another thing that's very useful is sort of the ability to develop your own like gratitude, gratefulness for your surroundings, for what's going on, for your patients, for your colleagues. What are some ways that you found a gratitude practice or something similar to improve on your experience? That's a great question. There are 
proven studies out there. Brian Sexton out of Duke did a lot of this work and really doing the three good things at the end of the night to really leverage the fact that your brain rehearses the last few things that you were thinking on. So you look back at your day and say, what three things went well and what was my role in them? And you do it every single day consistently for 14 days. You don't even have to do it more than 14 days, but it really flips your brain. Those first few days, some residents are in such a stressed out part of their life. They can't even think of three, three good things, but your brain likes to give you answers. So now over the next few days, your brain's going to start to notice, oh, I could use this for tonight. But that has been shown to not only decrease risk of burnout and improve people from mild to moderate to severe depression, but actually increase happiness levels. Very interesting. I think there's a center, maybe it's a center for positive psychology, something along those lines at University of Berkeley. I think they have a lot of tools and advice for setting these up and maybe even some templates that the audience could download if they need to know where to get started. (laughs) Yeah, that and then Duke and I think University of Michigan has a lot as well. Great. We'll definitely add those in the show notes then. And it seems like with the gratitude aspect, besides getting started, a lot of people, maybe just to run down real quick for the audience, if they've never heard of like a gratitude practice before, a lot of people seem to associate it with first journaling, if for no other reason than self-monitoring. And you can see over time, oh, I found that really interesting that day. And today I found this very interesting. So it gives a little introspection, but I always hear it kind of associated with, I want to say like meditation and yoga and stuff like that as well. Do you find that those can go and coincide with it or are they just completely separate? Yeah, no, I think they're all different components of really harnessing a practice, which kind of helps you get rid of that negativity bias and be present in the here and now and really improves your overall mindset because mindset management doesn't sound like a sexy topic but you know what still the systems people fix all the many 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 broken things at the systems level and there are people that are working in that space now which is really great but we don't need to be miserable in our careers while we wait on that there are all these tools or things that we can do to enjoy all the blood, sweat, tears, time, and money that we've spent in this career, this is how we can kind of harness that. I think I've heard that you remember the negative aspects of your day or your life 10 times stronger than the positive. So if you're not pointing out the positive to yourself, it's going to really increase your stress and make you not feel very good. Yeah, it's so true. And, And it all ties back in even to that feedback part of it. Because when, even when you have a resident who has dismissed the pieces of bread, And then you kind of try to bring them back. They really don't believe them. A lot of them, because they're just in this negative spiral. And so having them like reflect on it. And since your brain likes to give you answers, you can ask your brain, how is that true? How do I connect well with patients? How could that possibly be true? Because then your brain's going to start to look for examples. And that's a way to start to really own and believe some of the positive things. Sounds good. And hopefully we will be getting this episode out before the new residents start their training so they can start implementing these ahead of time and get used to the practices. They'll think about it when they're on their busy rotations. That will be great. Yes. The beginning of intern year, so exciting and setting your things in place in early in your training is really going to benefit you. Agreed. And 
I know there's one more topic we're going to cover. I think we might have touched on it a little bit, but it was the managing your mindset to decrease unnecessary suffering. And is the unnecessary suffering still kind of this negative mindset that we have, or does that include other aspects as well? Yeah, I think just understanding the thought, feeling, action cycle. So our thoughts create our emotions, our emotions create whatever actions we take or don't take. That part of mindset. So I'll give you an example that happened that I just recently talked with a resident about. There's this crazy system in place at their residency program where she has to put in two referrals that say the exact same thing to go to two different neurosurgeons, one out of state, one in state. And her question was, why can't it just be sent? And so what we did was like, yes, I agree. There's some efficiency issues, right? And what can we do in the moment? Because what happened in the moment is she got the phone call on her palliative care rotation where she was loving it. They were getting this great lecture. They had some rounding to do. And all she could do the rest of that afternoon is kind of fume and think about how this is crazy. This is not a good streamlined system. This is inefficient and all the anger and frustration that goes along with that. So she missed out on the fun part of her day and she still had to put in the second referral, right? So thinking about like, what were some other thoughts that were accessible to her that's believable that might serve her better? And so she was able to come up with something along the lines of, this is part of me being able to help my patient. And she can still work on the efficiency part with the medical records department or something if she'd like to, but just knowing like, okay, this is just what I need to do, put it in, get it done so she can enjoy and be focused and present in the rotation. Those are the kind of unnecessary sufferings. We take something that doesn't feel good and then we ruminate and affect the rest of our day and experience. I'm terrible with that myself. <laughs> and yeah, actually, I can't think of a single person I know that hasn't complained about the referral system at their location, or as a patient, a lot of friends that just can't stand the unnecessary complexity of it. But if it's out of your control and you're still ruminating about it, then that's not really helping anyone. Right. And if you want to play a role in helping design to make that more efficient, you are going to be much more effective. They're going to be able to hear you more if you come in with a clean mindset rather than anger and frustration, right? So you're actually going to be the best change agent by cleaning up the mindset. Good point. Well, I really like these topics so far. I think they're going to really assist with the students starting their new residencies this year and hopefully medical students before starting their clinical rotations or just in life in general. And since these are not things that are generally brought up during school, I'm glad we can provide some value to them here on the show. Did you have any other parting thoughts for the students? I like to come up with little mantras that kind of help so you can develop your own, but you can train your brain to rehearse these things. And one of them is nothing has gone wrong. I am right where I'm supposed to be because all that self-doubt starts to creep in for every single person, even if they don't talk about it and just kind of rehearsing, nothing has gone wrong. I'm right where I'm supposed to be is one thing that a lot of medical students and residents can start to utilize and really start to believe. That reminds me, I haven't used my self-affirmations in a couple of weeks. I need to start doing that again. <laughs> Good reminder. Yeah. Well, this has been absolutely wonderful. And I'm glad to have another experienced residency medical professional on here to really help guide students because you know what they need before they go 
and begin the rotations or residencies. And if the audience does have any other questions, are there any good ways to reach out to you or your organization? Yeah, so you can reach out to me. Probably the easiest is I have a contact me form on my website, which is www.joinfamilymedicine.com. Um, and I think that would probably be the easiest. One thing I will say is what I do know is what are common pitfalls for medical students and residents. But I will say from a coaching standpoint, the physician themselves really knows their best answers. And sometimes that's where a coach helps to unlock those. I don't know what everybody needs, but I know that I can help them find it for themselves. Great advice. <laughs> well, Dr. Tanya Kalor, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. The Rounds to Residency podcast is powered by Med School Coach. To access Med School Coach services, like USMLE tutoring or residency admissions advising, visit our website at medschoolcoach.com. Good luck as you prepare for your board exams, and we hope you tune in again next time.